welcome to the podcast everybody. Really, really pleased to be bringing you something really, really special today. I'm interviewing my dad. Now, he works with myself and and my mum on the nursery. Um, you'll see him around at the, the RHS shows and things like that. And I ask very, very similar questions to what I ask of all of the guests on the Plants and Me podcast. And it's about how he got into horticulture, how the business started. And it is very centric around our business. And some of the questions I knew the answer to, but actually some of them I didn't. Um, And we talk about the whole sort of history of the whole 70 years of the nursery, how it started. And I say, I mean, say 70 years, it's around 70 years and you hear us discussing why we're not entirely sure exactly how old it is. Um, but certainly it's been going for a long time um, and how we came to specialise in herbs and chilies, and how we, we came to do the RHS show. So really pleased we managed to sit down and have this conversation. And as you'll hear mentioned on the podcast as well, we've got a few specials coming up this year, one in particular about the RHS shows and some about tips and tricks with herbs and chilies, which is where our expertise really lies. We grow thousands of, of different plants, loads and loads of different plants, but herbs and chilies is what we're, we're really, really known for. And I'm recording this, uh, it's obviously beginning January, recording this on what's been a very, very frosty morning um, and a little bit too cold definitely to put out um, your chilies um, and the majority of your herbs as well. And we started selling things like jumbo scented geranium. So if you are thinking of buying those, and I know loads and loads of people are looking at our website and they'll be looking at every everybody else's website as well and if you are thinking of buying those make sure you protect them make sure you know the care they're going to need when they get to you conservatories uh, window seals they work really really well but just bear that in mind don't don't go and get your tender plants and put them straight out um, I don't want you to lose them it's really disheartening when you do that especially at the beginning of the year have to start all over again um, so yeah bear that in mind hopefully it's nice mild spring and everyone can get started nice and quickly and I can tell by the amount of people visiting the website and the comments we're getting on social media and stuff like that everyone's really raring to go so and we're in the same boat as well really want to really want to get going so with that said I hope you enjoy my interview with my with my dad Ray Lodge um, and let's start the podcast hi you're listening to plants and me the podcast that is all about plants gardening and the people who are passionate about them with your host alan lodge so today on the podcast we've got a very very slightly different format and a very very slightly different guest and when i say different um he's sitting across the the desk from me at the moment and it's my dad um I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah, well, I'm your dad. Um, <laughs> uh, interesting to be called a guest. I don't know that I'm a guest. I've sort of been here for probably nearly... Um, in fact, I was born in the house I now live in. So um, I've been here a considerable length of time. So guest, interesting. But yes, I am your dad. <laughs> and you you were born actually one, one, two rooms away from where we're sitting now, I think. Yes, I was. In fact, the room we're sitting in at the moment is what was our kitchen many years ago. And you say I was born in what was my mother's bedroom, uh, which is about two rooms away. Yeah. And um, I should explain to people who haven't listened to the podcast before, um, we're a family business uh, that was started by my nan and my granddad, so your mum and your dad. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. You've you've always been in the business? Yeah, I've, I've sort of been in the business following 
going to do some work experience at various other nurseries and, and going to college. Uh, but the business and the, the nursery started. Uh, my mother was from a family that's renowned of growing. In fact, her father was probably the very first person to grow bedding plants in this country. My father was more from a farming background, but he went off to the war in World War II and fought in the Middle East and the Far East for most of it. And when he returned and to, his green, to a greengrocer shop, which was his parents, uh, my mother and him started this nursery. And why why did they start the nursery? Do you know? It was it, a lot of it was started because he had the greengrocery shop. Uh, they started to grow some produce for selling at the shop. That's what originally it started. They used to grow, and we're sort of talking about basically before my time. Yeah. But from what I understand, they grew cut flour, runner beans, vegetables, uh, lettuce, that sort of thing. And that was that was to sell at the greengrocer shop. Yeah, that was to sell at the greengrocery shop. Uh, and at that stage, it was only the greengrocery shop. Uh, it later developed into starting to do wholesale. And that's when my brother came into it. And then I followed him later on. Because uh, the, there's quite a few uh, members of the family. Uh, you've got quite a few brothers and sisters. I have. I'm one of six. I have four sisters and one brother. Uh, my brother and I were the ones that changed the, the nursery and the business that we have here from growing for my father's shop uh, into a wholesale business growing initially tomatoes and fruit and cut flower croissants but then into quite a big uh, or reasonable size bedding plant nursery okay and when you talk about tomato and fruit you're talking about the actual physical fruit you're not talking about the plants or you're no we do a little bit of that but we were actually initially growing for the actual fruit and we used to take cucumbers, tomatoes. I remember, remember as a child going to Stratford Market in London right. uh, to deliver cucumbers and tomatoes in boxes. So that would be roughly where the Olympic Stadium is now, is that right? Yes, it will. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, that sort of area. And if I'm honest, I probably couldn't pinpoint it exactly, but it's <laughs> certainly my area. <laughs> it's all changed around there a huge amount. Um, and you and I used to go up to um, the fruit and veg market, and even I went back drove past uh, around about uh, six months ago and it's changed dramatically since yes. that time and that was yes. five or six years ago so yes. so it has all changed in that area a lot but taking it back a little bit further and um, so my my nan and granddad so so Doug and Wynn yes um, who started the nursery um, what was it, it as do you know was it uh, a greenfield was it what was it it wasn't greenhouses I no it was greenfield um, they initially bought, built effectively, we always called it a hut, and effectively it was. It was a bit of the design you'd imagine from an old World War type hut. Um, and they initially bought that, built that because there was nothing on the plot. Uh, got planning permission for the house and built a house. Uh, then they had a couple of quite small glass houses in terms of commercial uh, they were probably about 80 foot long 80 foot wide and old wooden glass houses um, quite low often used to hit your head on the bars as you walked in uh, so it's quite interesting but that that's what initially was on the plot our house ended up being extended quite dramatically because what would be my father's mother became unwell 
and needed somewhere to to go to be looked after. Uh, she actually developed what we now recognise as dementia, but at that stage it wasn't recognised, and the house was extended so that she'd got a section to her house. So the house was extended. Uh, the nursery stayed fairly much like that until my brother started. Right, okay. And um, uh, when uh, Dave, your brother, yep. when, when Dave started, um, it was growing. What was it growing at that point? We were growing uh, through the summer tomatoes for fruit, uh, I can't remember when we stopped growing croissants, but potentially croissants were still being grown for Christmas cut flower, mm. but mostly it was grown, it was for bedding plants. And what time, plants. when are we talking? It's uh, what time of year? What, not what time of year, what, what year? year? That's Roughly. A, that's a good question. So we're probably talking about 40, 50 years ago. Okay. Um, so where that works out to be seventies? <laughs> no, in sixties, I would have thought. Okay, late late sixties, late sixties. Yeah. And the nursery. This has always been a, a little bit of contention, but the nursery was founded when? Do we think? We we think we're talking about now, probably approaching the eighty years. 70, 76, 75 to 80 years, we think. I see your look on your faces, you're disagreeing with me. Because I thought it was closer to 70. Well, I think it was when we were, tried to work it out, but that's possibly about five or six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And we should explain, because people might be quite confused why we don't actually know an exact date, but the reality was uh, businesses these days, um, and I can think of the, the other ventures that we've done together, you, you almost set a date, you speak to inland revenue you do all this sort of stuff you have ways you can go back granddad nana didn't start like that they just wanted to grow a few tomatoes to to sell yeah there's clearly planning permission somewhere and i Hmm. i I thought potentially i found the planning permission type papers which is a date but i'm partly working it out in terms of the fact that i know which of my sister's were alive when we moved here mm-hmm. and which worked. Yeah. So I'm putting it around the 70. Yeah. Actually, you're probably right. We're probably closer to the 70 to 75 than we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But it's a long time. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a long time. So when did it turn from being um, a nursery that did a bit of this uh, and a bit of that? And I, I don't mean anything by that. I mean, it's, it's part of my, my heritage as well. But um, a bit of this, bit of that, bit of cut flower, bit of this, to uh, a slightly more focused bedding plant nursery. I think that was towards the period and around the period that, that my brother Dave would have started. Uh, he came back from college and got very much involved. That's the period where it started expanding dramatically and we had extra glass houses, initially polythene tunnels, but then extra glass houses. Uh, and then about... I'm guessing around eight years later, while I'd been here for some of the time, I come back from college and and got involved as well. And we put a lot of glass houses in that period, and and we put a lot of work in going out and finding more wholesale customers. Mm. And so I think it, it dramatically changed over that period. So we're looking through the seventies, right? Where it dramatically changed. And it was um, so. What what did your wholesale customers look like? Um, they were garden centres or. Initially, I can still remember our very first shop that we, that we supplied, and that might be my father instigated that initially. Uh, and the very first was a, 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 what was a, became a garden centre chain, but was initially started as shops, and that's Cramporns. Mm. And they used to have garden shops around the area. 
they started in Chelmsford, but the first shop we did was in Rayleigh. We then went to Brentwood. I remember as a child went, uh, delivering to the Brentwood shop, and they had a man manager there, which was called um, Mr. Foot. <laughs> Uh, and what was so bizarre was when they changed the manager, the new manager's name was Mr. Booty. <laughs> Which, those sort of things stick on your mind. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and that the expansion of crampons, because that ended up being a very, very big um, chain that eventually was bought by Wyvale, was that what instigated the expanse of the nursery? Yeah, I think we, saw, we sort of grew with them. They opened up various, quite a reasonable number of garden centres and as we got into various different garden centres, we then moved into ones further afield that they had. We started with Chancellor, an one called Cooton Mill. Uh, that then moved, we moved into one at Keston, which is in Kent. And we gradually did more and more of those uh, garden centres. We also gradually did more and more of their shops. I think at one stage we were doing, we were supplying about 18 of their shops. And that might not be right, but that's sort of a memory yeah. type thing. Uh, and so, and in growing with them, we also then naturally developed other customers, uh, independent people, mm. shops, garden centres, market traders. And you, you say uh, you went out to, to college, and obviously, as people are listening, they're, they're going to make the assumption I know all of this, I know, and I know probably ninety nine percent of everything. But you went off. To, to college, um, was that because you came to the family business because that's what you wanted to do? You were expected to do it? How how did that go? In my own mind, I, I don't think I fully remember or know, but in my own mind, I was either going to go into growing plants and nurseries or I was very into woodwork. Right. I used to, as a late teenager, I used to do some copy turning for a local antique shop. They'd give me a chair with a piece missing and I'd, I'd turn up the wood and copy it and they could then put it in and replace it. Uh, and so it was, it was close between the others, but I think the natural draw of going into family business was just always there. Uh, I left I left home when I was 16 and went to Hilliers mm. in Hampshire, yeah. uh, which was my first period away from home and also my first part of, of training and then went from there a later year I went on to Blooms in Norfolk and then went to college in Kent uh, so I think it was just a natural transition but while I didn't have any pressure or didn't need to go through the period of other nurseries and college it's just nice to get away from home for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I can imagine with that many brothers and sisters, um, uh, the house we're sitting in is is bigger than it was then. Um, it must have been pretty packed. <laughs> yeah, they were probably fed up with me as much as anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> we can ask them for that. Um, so you went away. Uh, you did your training and stuff like that. Was there a particular part of horticulture that, that really interested you? Yeah, naturally, because of our site, it was Glasshouse. So, so the while Hilliers and both Blooms, neither of those two Glasshouse sites, and that was quite an interesting change. Hilliers was very much trees and shrubs, and actually spent a fair bit of time end up working with Robert Hillier, uh, and used to load. I remember loading uh, large lorries with huge quantities of plants, uh, some of which was coming back to from Hampshire back to almost where I live, and loaded lorries that coming back to what was Basden, which was then a new town. Mm. Uh, I remember also loading lorries which going up to to various foreign countries that they expanded to. Uh, 
Bloomed was much more about uh, perennial-based plants, but that, my, all of my time at Bloomed was on uh, propagation, did cuttings. Mm. Uh, but Glasshouse was the training section at, at college that I did because it's a Glasshouse nursery we have now. Right, okay. And um, there's a there's a fairly well-renowned um horticultural college it's not so much horticultural now but certainly was in your time and and when i was younger just down the road in chelmsford but you ended up in kent yes my brother went to um riddle which yep. is in chelmsford i went to kent because at the time riddle only did a three-year course and college school was not my favorite area so i preferred the hilliers and the blooms and the growing nurseries and then the shortest course i could do which was a year so Kent was because it was a year's course. Riddle was three years. I didn't want three years. Yeah, fair enough. That's, that's exactly what I would do, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so you did all your training. Uh, you learnt loads of different stuff. And then if you're anything like fit pretty much every guest I've spoken to on the podcast, um, and I'm not sure I know the answer to this one, interesting enough, you come back and the nursery is exactly how you were trained to do it. No. Um, it was close because actually the training was very much around the same thing but actually the nursery was more commercial Mm. Uh, the the college I remember something in college that we we, that was doing at the moment they're growing bean sprouts (laughs) which was a big thing so it and when we did our practical training it was like so when you're here Yes, I agree. Uh, but I think the thing about geraniums is it's it seems to be that much more renowned of people knowing what it is. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you're growing the bedding plants. Um, you're based at, so we're sitting at Newlands Nursery right now. Um, and then you decided you'd run out of space. Um, what made you decide you'd run out of space? <laughs> I, I remember the last couple of years where we had the nursery where we still have the nursery we have uh, when my brother was still in the same business with us uh, and we have glass houses we have roadways in between the glass houses so that we can walk up and down and take our trolleys etc and one of the last years that comes to mind we had plants everywhere they were there was barely roadways left anymore uh, and bearing in mind is also that we through a bedding season which is what we class it in the spring you're not talking about planting one cop in january and then harvesting in april may you're doing many many crops so the same area of a glass house the same area in this case of the roadway gets used three four five times and we got to the point where customers were asking for more and more we were just driving ourselves crazy trying to fit every single gap we got and we just hadn't got space uh, and then we were in a lucky position where uh, we were able to buy a plot of land about two miles away no probably a mile away a mile, a mile away a mile away and we start a second nursery and that enables us then to grow further yeah and if uh, this is uh, when I when I come come along very very slightly, so this was around about 1980. I was born in 80. Um, this must be around about then. Yes, we it, it we did, it was around about 1980. I have to say I can't remember the exact year. My brother probably would remember just like that, but I can't. 
but around the late, very late 70s, early 80s. Uh, in fact, I don't think you were around, so I think we're talking mm. about late 70s. Um, uh, and yes, that, that enables to expand a lot. Yeah. Um, and still with bedding? Still with bedding. But gradually, as we had that other site, we were doing perennials in the autumn because bedding was very much a, a spring crop, late spring crop. We were doing herbaceous plants, perennial plants, whichever you want to call them. Uh, and when we had the second site, my brother was even more interested in the perennials and herbaceous than I was. I always saw them as messy plants, tatty and hard to look after. <laughs> he liked them. Uh, uh, but he expanded and we expanded between with a lot more herbaceous and perennials at the second mm. site. Yeah. Okay. And any herbs at this point? I suspect the answer is yes, but mini school. What do you reckon enough. the first herb you, you grew was? It's got to be mint, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, mint or think, parsley, I'm thinking, if you see. Oh, no, you're right. In, my, uh, in terms of seed rates, we were probably were doing parsley, chives, parsley and chives, I would think so. Mm. Um, interesting enough, seed raised coriander, but I don't believe we did coriander. No. Um, parsley was the most common one because that was often grown in bedding plant type trays. Uh, and then small pots. We did very few plants in pots, only the geraniums. Very few right. plants were in pots in the earlier stages. And this is in polystyrene? Yes. Yeah. Initially started wooden boxes. Right. And then after we're going back a long time, mm. wooden boxes is an account in the plant used to be 70, in a, 70 cuttings in a plant, in a tray. <laughs> then as, and at that stage, the greengrocers and the shops were cutting, so taking a tray of 70 plants and they were cutting it up and wrapping them in newspaper right. and selling them as individuals or, or selling them as probably blocks of about 10. Mm. And then, interesting enough, one of my uncles, which was on my mother's side, which is a very nursery growing type uh, enterprise, he he invented, if for all the better word, the polystyrene tray that many people saw. Mm. He initially invented it in plastic, and then in in polystyrene, uh, where you could grow them in sections. And then instead of having to cut them out and wrap in newspaper, you could just break sections off and sell individual sections. And this is this. Is ended up being what is is known as strip bedding. Yes, strip bedding, and then developed onto you know small pack bedding where you get trays of mm. six plants or three plants, as all sorts now. But yes, that's what was the start of it. And it started off with wooden boxes. Am I dreaming, or did you make those? No, we used <laughs> potentially going back far enough. My mother used to, but we used to buy them in from a company, but we often used to have to repair them. So you're often nailing them back together. So they they were reusable? Not really, but oh. yes. <laughs> so they, they didn't come back to you? Well, obviously the ones where sometimes they would, mm. but largely they weren't strong enough to be reusable. Right, okay. okay. Not from memory. I was a child then. So yeah, I might yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so there's a tiny bit of herbs there, and, and anyone that's listened to the podcast before will know that we specialise in herbs and chilies. Um, the range of plants we we offer in the nursery is much larger than that, but um, our real expertise is in herbs and chilies. So when did you actually sign, finally build up this, what is now quite an extensive range of herbs? At the point where we had the second nursery and have more space, 
Uh, my brother was very much into, like I say, the herbaceous and perennials, and that's what developed on the second site. And on the original site, the one we're at now, I tend to develop much more the herbs. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, went from tiny amounts to quite an extensive range. And, and even relatively earlier on, quite a large proportion of our production. Yeah. Um, and it became... Uh, very very popular and we're sort of slightly coming into the time when i'm aware of it not necessarily in the business but aware of it um and we're talking about a time where jamie oliver was starting to cook with herbs and stuff like that um how much of of fashion do you think actually drove the range i think a fair bit because not just even almost before the jamie oliver point where he's talking talking about cooking side the gardening programs were very widespread on television all sorts of gardening so gardening was a very popular it was the most popular pastime mm. and so that so i think publicity fashion all of it drove and then the cooking started coming in uh, and then that drove the herbs specifically uh, the the chilies that we now do a lot of i would say it was more probably driven in terms of the extensive range and changing was when you joined. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were very into chilies. Yeah. And I think, if I'm honest, not many years before you, we grew one variety and I didn't realise the worm anymore. It was um, Super Fresno, wasn't it? Yeah, Super Fresno was yeah. the first one we did and that was a, the only one we used to do. And I rem- I still remember we used to, um, when we, so we were completely wholesale at this point, um, we dabbled with a little bit of what we call mail order, some people still do, um, where people would send in checks yeah. um, back to those days and you'd wrap it all up and things like that. But I remember getting orders from um, wholesale customers when I first started on the nursery and I used to drive the van and deliver stuff to the customers um, and you'd have on the order form one hot chilli, one mild chilli or one, one. I think it mild, did we put? I can't remember. Yeah, I think sweet, we, sweet, sweet, one it. sweet and one hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all there was on that range. And I, I can't remember, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I remember the time we sent off for some seeds that weren't really ever designed to do anything other than for just us to have a play round with. And we opened up the box uh, of these seeds that got delivered to us with these ridiculous names like, um, uh, what would it be? Super Bomb and uh, Large Cherries yeah. and um, some... Sh- Cheyenne. Cheyenne. Uh, Chai Chen, some yeah. of which we still grow to yeah. this day yeah. and some of which actually I can't. Devil's Tongue was Devil's probably one of the tongue. only ones then. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Devil's Tongue, and that's that's what we still grow to this day. And we opened them up, and we sewed them all by hand. Yes. Stuck them in, in our, our propagation area, and it kind of just went from there, really. It did. I think we then, we then for a while, we managed to find a few seeds from various places, mm. but then we gradually developed producing them to fruit and producing our own seed because it, it became clear to us didn't it that the the only way we could extend the range at that stage seed wasn't available commercially was for us to actually produce the seed yeah definitely and still to this day we occasionally bring in new varieties from uh, what you call like commercial seed growers um and the germination that we get from the stuff we buy generally speaking is nowhere near as good as what we get from our own production yeah yeah. Um, which is quite interesting. That's probably partly because we're getting from all sorts of various places to see what new varieties are, mm. whereas the really the large wholesale seed producers are not bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
we're producing the chilies from literally day one and we've produced the whole cycle of chilies um, and you've said the reason we do that is for various different reasons there are more seeds available these days but keeps control of all that sort of stuff that's people might not quite understand how time consuming that process is especially on a commercial scale how long do you think it it takes for us to do all of that I mean we're we're there for quite a long period of time a few weeks to actually collecting the seed yeah the in terms of it's taken several years to to work out how to dry that seed and get it so that when we're sowing it we're not sneezing permanently because of the, the chili <laughs> chili powder um so that's taken a long time we're now much quicker with the sowing because we can now machine sow mm-hmm. now we divert cleaning the seed properly and get it nice nice and clean we can machine sow so that makes it a lot quicker uh, but it's a large proportion of our time isn't it when you actually yeah. add, add all of the rolls together mm. because we're not just collecting one seed and like one chili pod and then just collecting the seed from one chili pod it's very time consuming to get the seed yeah. out uh, maybe one day someone will tell me how you can do it mechanically but we've not found a way no and i i still research every now and again i've never found a a good way yeah. um with the chilies in particular and it, it happens with the herbs in particular things like um basil is it is a great example we're pretty much constantly especially to produce a plant for when our customers want them and our customers these days are all online and our just shows we're constantly battling against we're actually growing them in the wrong country um how much of a challenge i obviously know this but but listeners don't how much of a challenge is that i think it's quite a challenge on certain things because things like basil is a good example mm. because you want basil for most of the year and yet we can only really grow out in this country when it's really hot. So so we've got to get the temperature and the light right to try and get the growing to get it germinating at the beginning. Uh, there are certain crops, as you know, with um, lemongrass that we've tried to think we can do it, mm. but it grows as a nice conservative plant. Most people haven't got that facility. So actually we found that no, there's certain plants that just don't work in this country. Mm. But certainly... Most of them that people know that we can do. I think the other issue that that makes it hard is things like coriander, yeah, which is very quick. So you could so because it grows from seed to finished product very quick, you've got to do lots and lots of batches. You yeah. can't just do one or two at the beginning and then look after them. You've got to do lots and lots of batches. Mm. So I think timing is a big issue. Yeah, yeah, and we're heating a lot. Yeah, we're heating quite a lot. You're going off to fix some heating after yes, this, aren't you? Yes, what I should be doing now is is, is fixing some heating. I've got a, a heat pump, which I need to get off for maintenance before we heat next week. Uh, we've got a batch of cuttings coming next week. Of um, Our first batch of, of herb cuttings coming in next week where we just get little tiny cuttings arrive. And, then and that's plant. something that um, I think will amaze a lot of people. Um, and we're put on our social media when they arrive. I think they're due next Wednesday, next Thursday, something like that. They come from... Israel. Now, I've been at um, RHS shows with you explaining to other growers how these come to us and 
they've been stunned it's physically possible and so this is other growers so if you're not a professional grower it's probably really really is stunning how they get to us so you've been to israel to see this happening uh, you didn't let me go but <laughs> <laughs> actually it's my wife's 40 so i couldn't go um so you've been there so not too much detail about that but effectively we get the cutting that is taken off in israel flown to us we put it in soil and grow it is that uh, that's exactly that's exactly it uh, i i have to be honest i went to israel thinking that they'd have some sort of machine because they're producing i mean they the, the company we went to is probably the biggest herb uh, producer in the world and i thought they'd have a machine to cut the cuttings off and then find out how they can weigh them and work out the count of how many cuttings but no I went to Israel in the glass house. There are just people working at the bench, just picking individual cuttings off, counting out a hundred to put in the bag, and that. So they'll they'll be cutting it, producing it. They put it in the fridge straight away, and then basically, without going into logistics, it literally gets flown across to us, and we receive it in this country. All the different varieties labelled up with a hundred cuttings in each bag, mm. and. If I'm honest as well, that's pretty amazing, really, mm, mm. because there's no roots on them. They're just, they're just yeah. bare bits of plants that we then put in soil and produce the roots. We pretty much get 100%. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Um, there'll be some varieties a bit more trickier than others, but pretty much get 100%. And um, we're as interested in um, sort of reducing our carbon footprint and, and all that stuff as anyone. And we, we often put it on social media. And so far, to be honest, no one's ever made a comment on it. But the reason we do it um, is actually the amount of heat, the amount of oil, the amount of electricity and lighting we would have to do to, to mimic the conditions they've got in Israel far exceeds what happens in the production in Israel. Uh, and I'm not even sure if we put that in, we'll actually successfully achieve it. Because while in theory you give it light, um, heating, water, everything else, in practice I'm not convinced we could do it. Uh, we used to, if I go back several years ago, we used to buy from Israel again uh, young rooted pug plants. Mm. So now, <clears throat> now where we get a batch of cuttings of, let's say for argument's sake, 10,000 pounds, 10,000 cuttings, mm. They'll come in two or three not very large cardboard boxes. Yeah. But years ago, they used to be cuttings, and that same quantity would be two or three pallets. Two or three pallets. Yeah. Huge. I mean, they've got to be, you're talking about probably 10, 20 times the mm. area to transport. Yeah. So actually, we have over the years found ways of, of reducing. The car footprint, yeah. But there are certain things we just can't grow in this country, and, and to get cuttings that we want to plant in January, we just can't do in this country. No, quite. And when we get to, uh, depends on the variety, but when we get to around March, April, if if the weather's being kind, which it isn't always, that's the point where we move over to our own production. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and some varieties we do ourselves all year round, but. There's only certain varieties we can. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and going back to the history a little bit, um, very quickly, 
because I think we'll do a special on the RHS shows because obviously we've got some some big ones coming up for this year with Chelsea, uh, Hampton Court Garden as well and things like that, um, especially considering we might have an anniversary. we we'll have to look into how yes. old the nursery <laughs> is because uh, the RHS have asked. Um, where did that start? I seem to remember being at our first show. It wasn't RHS, no. somewhere in Kent. Uh, we, we Our very first show, we were purely wholesale nursery, didn't do any retail at all, but one of the suppliers of uh, some of our product pots, I think at the time, uh, asked us, they were involved in organising a show in Kent, and they asked if we would put a stand there and to do it. And we did it more as a favour than anything else to this particular to company business rep. Uh, but I suppose having done it... Mm. I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed the organising it. At that stage, we didn't really do a display. We just set up a nice-looking stand for didn't selling. You, didn't you have a? Didn't you make a man out of pots? I did. You're right. I did. Um, I don't know why I did that, but I did. I don't remember <laughs> why I did that, but you're right. I did do that. And we used. To, and I remember at a show fairly early on, we made a wishing well where we made the roof out of house leaks. Right. So we Set filled the roof with house leaks. And, and another early one we did was where we did a garden chair and the whole seat was made out of times. Mm. Yeah. So we've done various different ones, but it was this one in Kent Bromley, I think, that we first did many years ago, uh, but got me interested. And mm. then we applied for, I believe I'm right in thinking, the first one we did extra was BBC Gardeners World in yeah. Birmingham. Um, Which was an RHS show yeah, at that point. It was, it was. Or I think the RHS was certainly involved. They used to do the organising a lot, the companies that come. Mm. Uh, and then we gradually did more as we got interested with Hampton Court was the next one, and we gradually did more. And actually to give uh, yourself, uh, my mum, uh, Rosemary, uh, and Sheila and Jan, yep. um, who are your two sisters, um, and Andy, who was involved yep, in yep, the early days because yep. these days because I am more visible especially with social media that's what I deal with and and the um, the podcast and stuff like that I get a lot of the credit for the shows but when you first went to, to Gardeners World what happened? In the early days of doing the shows the very first one was myself and my brother because we weren't doing shows then yeah. when we first started the Gardeners World and, and those the shows it was as you say two of my sisters Jan and Sheila, uh, Jan's husband, Andy, who was a carpenter, very good carpenter, and mm. actually built a lot of the bits. At that stage, we used to build very elaborate stands. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was the team that used to – we used to that, – that's who did the shows. It was us that did the shows. Um, and a lot of the credit for how we did is down to them as much as it is us. And how did we do? Well – we, well, Gardeners World being our first one, mm -hmm. uh, second year of being there, we used to be in a plant mill and we won Best in, best in Show of Plant Mill mm -hmm. and then went into the market afterwards. Uh, and then the following year, we won Best in Show at Hampton Court mm -hmm. and then moved into the Flora Marquis. Uh, we got numerous numbers of um, silver gilt. Uh, some golds, mm -hmm. uh, not so many golds I'd like, <laughs> but you can always do better. We love a silver gilt, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> and it's um, it, it's quite an interesting thing, and um, in various different ways of showing various different things. Uh, I know people who do dog shows and stuff like that. Um, 
sometimes it is very, very hard to do a display how whoever's judging it wants it to be to be done. Um, so some of it's it's that, um, and plus you get awkward growing years. Uh, we had yeah. one of those a couple of years ago. We did. You do get years where I can think of years where we're showing, and you you look a couple of weeks before you show, and you think, how on earth are we going to achieve this? Mm. But you can normally put it together. I always felt rightly or wrongly that herbs were slightly harder to show than certain things, mm -hmm. and that's largely because if we've always stuck with traditional herbs, yeah, and traditional herbs tend not to have much colour. When we say traditional, we're obviously talking uh, not necessarily herbs that were used in the 1800s uh, for medicinal reasons. We we do some of those, but not many of those. We're talking about your herbs that you might use to add to a pasta and stuff like that. I, I suppose actually rather than traditional, maybe a better phrase would be well-known and well-used and popular herbs that mm. people want to use yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, we'll stretch it out, take mints as an example, we'll stretch them out into some very different flavours of mint, mm -hmm. but it's mint. Yeah. Uh, whereas there are some herbs, as you say, going back, used way back, that are much more medicinal, which which we tend not to do as much. But they're very, very showy. They yes. they work really, really well for displays. And it's, yeah. it is uh, a conversation we have quite regularly, um, whether we should grow them just for the displays, but we've never actually got around to it. We've never really made a decision on whether we should. No. So I tend to like doing a display where you can look at plants and you think you'll use them readily. Mm. Rather than build a display that that looks very colourful and very nice, but actually that one over there that's the nicest looking colour doesn't really work medically. It doesn't mm. really work as a, a herb you want to use all the time. Yeah, and so I've always felt it's slightly harder for us, but that's probably me being um, me trying to make it sound as if I, I'm doing as well as I can and I should do better. But it's because I've got a hard product. <laughs> who knows um and it, it does it varies massively the time the the way the year's gone and that's not just the weather that can be a very successful spring which is interesting when i say very successful if you've got really really good weather um and people are buying lots of plants it's we've always been a, a business and a nursery that has wanted to do our best for for our customers um and sometimes that does mean selling the thing that you were hoping to be a display plant at chelsea yeah sometimes selling it sometimes it's because you're so busy producing the plants for the customers that they want that you're not looking after your display plant as much as you could i remember we if you take that as an answer i remember that as a as a difficulty when we found it harder growing our display plants when we were going through the years where you were starting to join us mm -hmm. and we were starting to build the house that you have now yeah uh, was in the area we did a lot of display plants so there's yeah, other issues that creep in but that was a difficult year for shows because we'd lost some of our display plant area and we're spending mm. so much time building your house that we weren't putting so much time into nice display plants yeah yeah, interesting. So it's all, yeah. it's all my fault. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But we did all right those years still. Yeah, we did. We actually. still did all right. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, right. It yeah. normally comes out in the wash in the end. Exactly. And and to finish it off, and like I said, we're going to do a special on on the RHS shows um, and put together some, some bits to do with that probably after the shows. And we're also going to do, um, and Dad doesn't know this as I'm, I'm looking at, we'll also do a special on 
specifically our nursery's tips and tricks to do with growing herbs and chilies um, because we have done it as you've now heard for a very very long time but to finish off this particular podcast where do you see the nursery going from from here on out uh, i think we we're now specializing in in internet sales in particular uh, we're still doing the shows but the internet sales is where we're particularly and i think we're now looking to widen our range and give 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 all of our customers a bigger choice to what to purchase mm. so they actually can pick more from different varieties mm. so i think it's just continues on but actually doing better yeah because um, we're um and listeners won't necessarily know but um there's housing all around us. Uh, it's creeping in from left, right, and centre, and we're sort of a haven in in the middle. Um, when we're planning to keep it that way, um, but as the world gets bigger around us, um, we've started doing a lot more things where you can teach people how to grow in smaller areas and stuff like that. And that's where herbs and chilies work really well. They do. I mean, they make great window boxes. Um, tubs and containers, things you can just put in very small areas. You've got a bit of sun. Uh, when we did the farmer's markets in London for a short period of time, uh, it's surprising how well they work on balconies and places like that. So, no, they're, they're very versatile and fun because you, they're quick. Mm. You can produce something quick. You can eat and enjoy it. And then if you don't like it, you can just change it for something else. Yeah, excellent. I think that's a good good place to leave it. So thank you for taking your time from fixing the heating. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll talk to you next, next time on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, Don't forget to subscribe and rate us.